You're listening to the Rugged Legacy Podcast, and I'm your host, Jeff Putnam. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Rugged Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Putnam, and today I'm joined by Ryan Fellman, a.k.a. Path to Manliness, uh, for those of you that follow him on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, Ryan has spent the majority of his time writing. That's all he does. And there's something cathartic about it, but what's even better when it comes to, if you're going to be a writer, the more value you can add to other people's lives, the more rewarding your writing feels. Because not only is it good for you to be able to label out all the things that you've got going on inside you, but you can also do that for other people as well. And I brought Ryan on today uh, to talk about his uh, new book that uh, we were just talking about. The paperback is coming out in the next few days. And it is called The Warrior Mindset. So, Ryan, thanks for coming on the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Hey, um, I don't know if you remember, but you were one of my first guests when I first started my podcast. I think you were the second person I had on. So, Yeah, I remember. I appreciate it. Humble beginnings. So you, you trusted me at the beginning to, uh, <laughs> to do your right. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be on your show now. And uh, thanks for the introduction. Um, yeah, I've got a new book out, The Warrior's Mindset. And um, yeah, writing completely changed my life. Um, you know, it was, it was something I had never really uh, done a whole lot growing up. You know, I, I did it for school here and there and I was, I was decent enough at it that uh, if I was in a group project, somehow the writing assignment always got pinned on me. So, you know, there, there was, I guess there was some talent there at the beginning. I just, I hated it, <laughs> which is kind of funny looking back on it. Um, then about oh, three or four years ago, I started journaling a little bit and then that became this daily habit that just, it really helped me handle all these emotions and, and frustrations and, and stuff that I was going through when I was dealing with my divorce. And I didn't really expect to turn it into blogging or writing books or anything at the time. It was just trying to stay sane. And, um, you know, even as my life started getting back to normal, it became this, this day we have that stuck with me. And, and it's something I do pretty much every day now. And, you know, it's, um, it's funny because when you first start out, you always hear people talking about how hard writing is and what do I write about? And I don't know what makes the switch flip, but you get to a point where it stops being hard to think of something to write about. It becomes harder to find the time to write all the stuff that you want to write about. Like it's, it's not unusual for me to have like six or seven different things I'm trying to write and, you know, trying to find the time to finish it all. Yeah. I know that feeling. Uh, when I started the Rugged Legacy blog, it was, I had an idea of what I wanted to write about, but those ideas were very hard to, you know, um, articulate into, you know, word form, you know, <laughs> everything was just kind of jumbled around and I'm getting better at it. I mean, I wrote a book and I'm working on a second one, Yeah, but there is something about it when you enter like a flow state, when you start yep. writing and you can't figure out where it's going. And so you just force yourself to get through the first couple of paragraphs. And the next thing you know, you've written, you know, 6,000 words. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I woke up yesterday and um, I didn't even intend to write. I just woke up and I had a thought and I wanted to get that first paragraph down so I wouldn't lose it. So I sat down and I wrote that first paragraph and then it kind of flowed. Like you said, I got into that flow state and, um, you know, it doesn't always work out this way. But I sat down for less than an hour and I hammered out about 1200 words like fairly easily. Um, I haven't really looked at it, so it's all rough, but just just being able to get like a thousand words done in under an hour is a huge accomplishment. You know, if you're, um, if you're writing blog posts, that's, that's kind of what you want to shoot for is around that thousand word mark, um, at least a minimum. Yeah. It's usually a three to four minute read is what people all really have time for anymore. Yeah. With, uh, a lot of people skim too, right? Yeah. They'll skim read and they want to hit the bullet points and get the, the gist of it before they move on. But yeah. You've done the thing that a lot of people who are aspiring writers, including myself, have wanted to do, which was, you know, they, they wrote a book. Uh, they, they were able to monetize their writing. Right. But it's not easy to, to shift from, oh, I'm writing in a journal to I'm writing, you know, content that someone wants to read. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. When, when, when you make that transition, it's, it's just magical because you realize that what you have to say matters to someone because people, in my opinion, I don't think people should be writing what they think other people want to read. They should write the things that they want to read. And then the people who are like-minded and their collective audience will find them. Yeah. Yeah. That's been the most fascinating thing about this. And this is a hundred percent the reason why I do my own podcast. I don't really do my podcast for the monetary reasons. I just enjoy talking to people. Um, by putting out my honest words and writing and putting out this book, it allows people to find me, you know, whereas before, like a lot of men, I was feeling alone. I was feeling disconnected. I thought my thoughts were kind of alien, you know, cause you're watching TV, you're watching the media and you're hearing all these, you know, fake news and all these stats and all these polls that, you know, don't really add up. And then you start saying what you really believe and other people start reading it and they start getting responses and it doesn't come right away. But once you start just getting a couple and they start interacting with those people, like how I met you, you know, I got, if I didn't start writing online, I never would have met you, but you know, because of the way we both write online, we were drawn to each other and it's, it's amazing. Um, being able to connect with other people and some of these ideas that you have that, you know, maybe they're fringe, maybe they're just not mainstream, whatever it is. Like the internet's actually a really cool tool to allow you to connect with like-minded people. Or watch cat videos. Or watch cat videos. I do a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who doesn't? But <laughs> so when you finally got to the point where you wrote one book, you, 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 went, you know what, I'll do it again. And so, yeah. and again, that's why I wanted you on today for this new book. Uh, the warrior's mindset. Um, if you can take us through the process that uh, brought you to wanting to write this particular book and the insights that it's going to be offering for the audience. Cause your ebook, the ebook version has been out for a while now, Yeah, but about a month, uh, maybe. yeah. yeah. And, and the paperback, which I'm one of those guys, I will read a Kindle book if I have to, if I'm on yeah. the go but I really like the feel of a page in my hand. I'm the same way. I own maybe 10 to 20 eBooks, like almost everything I own is paperback. Right. And so a lot of people, when your paperback version is going to come out, be the first time they've read it, 
But if you could kind of give us the, uh, I guess the the movie trailer version, right, of the book, you know, compel the, compel us all to pick it up. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, the funny thing was, like, after I had written my first book, Reclaim Your Manhood, um, which was pretty successful, it seemed like everybody that read it liked it, um, and I liked it. I got to a point where I started getting critical of it and I felt like I had missed things and I'd forgotten to say things and I wanted to elaborate on certain points. So that was kind of the starting point of what this was. It was, all right, reclaiming manhood was a good start. What's the next step and what did I forget to write about and what else do people need? So the warrior mindset's all about, you know, unleashing the warrior within. So how do you become the modern warrior? And I think, society has tricked a lot of men into thinking we're supposed to be these, you know, docile little civilized people. But, you know, in reality, we're still pretty close to spear chuck and monkeys, right? I mean, it's, it's in our DNA to go out and hunt and to fight. And, you know, you feel that if you've ever been into a, a fight or if you've ever been into a, any kind of a high adrenaline experience, like once the fear kind of subsides, there's, there's a rush that you get too you know, there's is an enjoyment to it. And, um, you know, we miss that part. So it's all about embracing our inner need for struggle. And it's something that most people are trying to um, get, a, get away from in their life. They want to make their lives as easy as possible. And you're starting to see some people push back against that. You know, you're, you got the one meal a day people where they talk about fasting for 16 hours. You've got the cold shower mindset, which personally, I hate the cold showers, but I like the mentality behind it. Um, The obstacle course races. I got big into Spartan races and um, you know, the idea of putting yourself through this torturous event, you know, some of them are much more manageable than others, but you know, I ran a 13 mile Spartan race last year with obstacles and then it wasn't enough. So I ran um, an ultra marathon, a 31 mile race through the mountains. And um, actually I couldn't finish that one. It was too much for me. I bit off more than I could chew, but I did run 25 miles and I've got two missing toenails to, uh, to show for it. So, um, you know, this, this book's all about how you can um, em- embrace the suck. You know, how do you unleash the inner warrior so that you want to take on these challenges and, once you start taking on these challenges, you realize that, you know, if I can get through this, I can get through anything. And then it becomes this sort of an addiction where you start enjoying seeing what you can accomplish. The human body was meant to be punished. We're meant to struggle. We're meant to fight. We're meant to, you know, go through challenging times. The whole idea of sitting on the couch all day, watching Netflix, as some people are doing constantly, we're probably about the time where it's not fun anymore. You know, it's not that you've run out of stuff to watch on Netflix, that you just, your body, your mind, you're not content to sit around, you know, living the easy life. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, I have a theory that I I tend to operate on. Um, I talked about this with Andrew Tate on the last episode. Uh, No, it wasn't Andrew Tate. It was uh, on Zach Hommel's podcast. If you haven't, if you, you guys listening haven't checked out the Zach Hummel show, definitely do that. But uh, I, people ask me all the time, how do you deal with being a husband, being a dad of nine children? You own your own company. You write. You uh, you write a blog. You write 
uh, books, you run a podcast, you also work a nine to five that requires 60 to 70 hours of your time every week. So how do you do all of that? And for me, it's, it sucks. It sucks doing all of that. But I feel this rush when I get it done and I'm doing it and it sucks while I'm tired or, you know, I, I'm hungry or I'm frustrated and aggravated. My hands hurt, my back hurts, you know, cause I do a lot of physical labor at my job. I thought I have to come home and do physical labor here at the house. And at the same time, figure out how to do all of this. It's mentally taxing as well. Yeah. But the little voice in the back of my head, every time I start to slow down or I'm going to take this day off, you know, he's in the back of my head going, you're a little bitch. <laughs> and then I get into a fight with that guy and I can't do it. And then at, while I finish what I need to, you know, to get done, I'm like, who's the bitch now? Yeah. And it's that yeah. you get, a, you get addicted to that feeling. Yeah. It's, it's funny. It's like a paradox, you know, there's, there's all these activities that are really easy to start doing like, playing video games, eating junk food, drinking some beers. It's really easy to do. It doesn't take much convincing to start. And you feel kind of good when you're doing it. And as soon as it's over, you, you start hating yourself a little bit. You know, if you do it in moderation, it's okay. But if you're doing that all the time, it, it kind of eats at you. And then the more rewarding stuff is the opposite, where you don't want to go to the gym. You don't want to eat your veggies. You don't really want to go for a run. But then you kind of start doing it. You're like, ah, this wasn't as bad as I made it out to be in my mind. Then you finish it and you feel great about yourself. You know, it's all about that. You got to delay gratification. You know, it's coming, but you have to go through the, the hardship first. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was having a discussion with uh, my wife the other day. And right now we've got a 12 by 20 foot garden that I dug out by hand because screw road a killer. And, <laughs> you know, I've got, a good bit of crops coming in that they're going to feed the family. But because I toiled in the heat, I got like 80 billion blisters on my back from the sunburn and my hands were all cut up from the shovel and the rake and the hoe and the pick and all that other, those vegetables are going to taste great because my exertion went into those things. You know, they mean more. And that's, sure. that's something we try to, you know, teach our kids. If you had to fight to get it, no matter what it is, it means more when you finally get it. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, money, talking, money given yeah. is not the same as money earned. No. And you talk about the, uh, the delayed gratification. Yeah. I don't really know if it's all that delayed, at least in men, because yeah. we relish the thought of comparing with each other how hard we've had it you know yeah. the hardest jobs we've ever done the longest workouts we've ever done the hardest climbs or hikes or runs or whatever you win by the way i'm not running 25 miles unless there's a dinosaur <laughs> chasing me I'm not gonna do that you won i'll bow out on this one you know you get a t-rex chasing me i might i might i might beat that record but that's it there's, there's something wrong with me I, I i never used to be like this until after the divorce i, I got something to prove <laughs> hey whatever it takes but you know we relish in all the hard things and we're gratified you know there was a there was a a cartoon drawing that i saw a while back and it was based on the guys in the military 
and it was making fun of the Air Force guys uh, and the different uh, sides of the guys in the Army and stuff. And, like, it had uh, the Air Force going, man, this sucks, and they're in this cushy hotel room and the Wi-Fi's out, you know. And then you had, like, your 11 Bravos, your infantry guys, and they're like, man, this sucks, and they're rucking up a hill in the rain. And then you had the Rangers, and they're, like, up to their noses, you know, in a foxhole full of water, trying to peek over with their rifles, and it goes, man, this sucks. And then it showed down to, like, your Green Berets and your Special Forces guys, and it's they're literally getting impaled with, like, flaming you know, arrows and shit, and they're smiling, going, "Man, I wish this would suck more." You know, we yeah. we we relish in the shit because we that's how we measure up against other men. So the that's harder true. the harder we can go, we go, "Yeah, that guy's a pussy; he wouldn't be able to take it." Yeah, it's all about like proving your capability. You know, everybody yeah. wants. You know, that's why you always hear all the talk about who's an alpha and who's this, and you know, how many push-ups can you do? How far can you run? It's always some kind of a competition. It's it's constantly been that way. I remember as kids, like, even dumb shit. I remember like in like third grade, like racing my buddy, seeing who could get done with our math assignment first. You know, and then we'd yell at each other, saying like, "Hey, if you miss this many questions, that doesn't count." You know, stupid shit like that. Yeah. You know, it's always a it's always a dick measuring contest, right? <laughs> It always is, and but that's what generated society. Yeah. One guy said, "I made this for everyone." The the next guy said, "Oh yeah, well I made this for everyone, and it's better than your dumb bullshit over there." Yeah. And it was always one upmanship, and society benefited for it. It's true, you know. You know, oh look, I I built a hut. Oh yeah, well I built a cathedral. It's true. I mean. You know, capitalism is starting to get kind of a bad rap now, but I mean, that's what breeds competition. And without competition, I mean, I mean, look at places that have communism and, and everyone can share everything equally. It's always equally miserable. There's no incentive to one up each other if you're constantly at the same. Like, you need that competition. It inspires people, and then you get rewarded for it too. You know? Yeah. And absolutely, man. I love that. Yeah, um, and see, I think that ties into with your book, the warrior mindset. Because if you're in a war, you know, in a battle with a shield and a sword or rifles or spears or just fist, you know, in an MMA octagon, yeah. you're trying to one-up the other guy. Yeah, and it's fun. You know, um, I take Taekwondo. I got my kid into it. And then, you know, while I signed him up, they talked me into doing it too. And I did it when I was a kid, so it wasn't hard to convince me. And, um, you know, like I, I hadn't sparred, like, as an adult since well, I never as smart as an adult I guess so I wasn't sure what to think of it and I get in there thinking it's going to be you know maybe kind of intense no it's like you're constantly laughing you're joking like oh shit yeah you got me all right all right man come on and then you know you're trying to beat that person up and the whole time it's it's fun because you're in that mindset of like this feels natural when you're sitting in a cubicle and you got the fake light above you and you got the screen blasting you in the face and it's an air air conditioned building you know everything's comfortable but it's just it doesn't feel right when you're sparring another person, you're fighting, you know, there's a natural feeling about it. It's like, all right, my body's been conditioned to do this for the last 10,000 years or whatever. This feels like I'm in the right place. And that's, it's missing in society. And that's, that's why you need to, um, you know, embrace the challenges, why you need to put yourself in these positions, even if you have to do it artificially through, you know, fake fighting or running a race or whatever it is. Yeah. 
suffering is 100% a choice now. Yeah. You know, my grandmother, uh, before she passed away when I was a kid, she lived in Chicago. And I actually talked about this on uh, Twitter today. She had to go to a soup kitchen that was hosted and ran by Al Capone and his guys. Yeah. Because she grew up, you know, she was born in 1912 and she grew up through the Great Depression and all that other. When things got hard in these inner cities, they had it hard. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like, oh, we've got it hard now. Look, we didn't. We haven't had it nearly as hard as any of you know our parents had it, or their parents, or their parents before them had it. Now everything is comfortable. Yeah. You know, if you look at it from a relative uh, perspective, you know, yeah, you're. It might suck a little bit for you, but you're not really suffering the way that you know people that have gone and came before you are suffering. You know, now everything is automatic. We've got air conditioners. We've got, you know, food that walks to your door so you don't have to do anything. <laughs> you know, you can drive in your climate-controlled box to the restaurant and someone's just going to hand you pre-hunted or pre-farmed food and say, here, you know, go get fat. Yeah, I mean. And you have you to choose to suffer now, and a lot of people don't want to do that. You do. You forget about how, like, you know, people used to live. Like, you know, I remember watching my dad when he was, um, you know, probably about my age, like, you know, driving around this old, like, 1970s car that had, like, no air conditioning. You know, if it was hot out, you just rolled the windows down. And now I've got this old Jeep that I drive around in for fun, and it doesn't have air conditioning. But, like, I didn't have to do that. I've got a truck that I can drive that's got the air conditioning. I, I have to choose, oh, I'm going to go into the even though I'm going to sweat a little bit. But then if it's like 90 degrees out, I just don't take it, right? You know, it's, right. it's so easy to take that easy road if you want to now. And, you know, that's, that's what's kind of interesting with this whole coronavirus deal is people are starting to suffer a little bit, but it's, it's still, it's not quite the same. Like, you know, if you're actually sick, yeah, then it's serious. But most people, they're just you know, like, I can't find toilet paper or I couldn't find ground beef today. But, you know, that's okay. There's pork. Like that's suffering yeah. in our world now. <laughs> and it's, it's been kind of fascinating. It makes me think of, um, have you read the book Tribe by Sebastian Younger? I have not. It's, it's a fascinating book because he talks about all these times throughout history, like the Blitz, um, the London bombing during World War II and how all these people were suffering, but they were actually happier during the bombing while they were stuck in these like bunkers underground than they were afterwards. They had this great sense of community and they felt like their life had purpose, even though they were, you know, struggling to survive. Like you're seeing that on a smaller scale today, where if you go out in public and you see somebody, I, I can't remember the last time I was sitting around with a group of people and they were all staring at their phones. Like now when you go out they're they're so starved for social interaction, like, their phone's in the pocket. They're waving at you. They're saying hi, even if you don't know them. Like, people are way more engaged when they go out because they're sort of appreciated now they've been stuck inside for so long. Yeah, that's true. You know, having never had to grow my own food before, we decided to do this little victory garden, which that's a World War II reference. A lot of people right. in uh, World War II, they would, for those of you who don't know, when the U.S. was giving out ration stamps uh, that you would take to the grocery. You'd have one certain stamp for meat, one for sugar, one for, you know, soap and whatever. Uh, 
a lot of people took to growing their own gardens so they could have more food for their families. And they called them victory gardens because all the food was going that was mass farmed was going overseas to Europe to feed the troops for the victory. But, uh, you know, having never had to do that myself, we started this little victory garden of sorts. Uh, and I did everything by hand, mainly because I wanted to save money. I didn't want to go rent, you know, a rototiller and all this other. Had I had to do this indefinitely on a much larger scale by hand, that would suck. Right. Because the work that I'm doing on this 12-foot by 20-foot garden on a daily basis, you know, last night the temperature dropped, so I had to go and get the tie wire and freaking tarp up everything and cover, you know, 70 stalks of corn, you know, with uh, all the other vegetables, potatoes and uh, onions and spinach and lettuce, and do all of those individually just so that, you know, 35-degree drop in temperature isn't going to kill my plants it takes a lot out of the day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we, we got a garden too. My girlfriend's been uh, growing a garden here and same deal. And she's had to go out the last couple of nights and, and cover it up. Um, so ours isn't quite that big yet, but it's getting there. Yeah. And if you try to think about it, you know, from a relative perspective, what I've had to do, you know, to, okay, we're going to have some extra produce so we, we can save money at the grocery store. don't have to go out and, fight crowds or have to worry about going store yeah. to store to find what's missing or anything else like that. It, it, it starts to remind us all that, man, it could be a whole hell of a lot worse. Imagine if this, if we had ration stamps and this was done out of necessity, not convenience. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, it's, I don't think no one, when's the last time we've ever had like struggle for food? in america it's, it's something we just take for granted there's always food there yeah you know, I, it's been a while i think the last time that people were really struggling for food and i'm not talking about people who are living in poverty right now or the homeless or not but when the entire country had to say well we're all going to get a whole lot thinner because food isn't really there <laughs> was back during the uh uh world war ii rationing yeah yeah i think so you know, I think back, I've been thinking a lot about like my grandpa's generation because he grew up during um, the Great Depression. I think he was born in like 1930, maybe, or something like that. And oh, so um, he was born at the beginning of the Depression. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he, and it's funny because he was actually a, a very successful man. Um, you know, he started his own business and, and made decent money, but he grew up in such abject poverty. And he grew up in a time where everything was so scarce that he, 80 years, he never escaped it. You know, I remember going to his house when he was, you know, not on his deathbed, but definitely in his later years. And it's like, hey, Grandpa, why don't you get a nicer TV? He's like, oh, this one's fine. I'll get a nicer one when it breaks. And it's like, you know, these HD TVs that just came out are a lot better than this. You should check it out. He goes, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it, it got to the point where, you know, he, he wouldn't do it. And um, my dad got tired of like going up to visit him and watching football in standard definition. So he went and bought like a brand new flat screen for him. And he's like, Hey, isn't this a much nicer TV? And my grandpa just kind of sat there and turned his head a little bit. And just, it's okay. He just, he was just so content because he, he was used to growing up with nothing. And then, man, I thought it was so funny as a kid. I remember it stuck with me. Their pantries were always full. 
you know, like they always had a bunch of food, especially stuff that was like non-perishable. And I think, um, I think our generation is going to be like that after this. I think you're going to start seeing all these millennials that used to just depend on avocado toast and Chipotle. They're going to have a lot more food in their, in their fridge now, in their pantries. Well, yeah, th- we had that whole adulting, and I hate that <laughs> fucking word. I hate it too, man. The whole adulting movement where, and it's the parents' fault. It's, you know, whatever, whether they're a Gen Z or Gen X or whatever the hell they are. I don't, I don't know. I don't care. Or boomers or whatever. They're, they didn't teach their kids how to be self-reliant. And so now this is the struggle for this generation. You know, you and I had uh, the war on terror and 9-11 and yeah. the tail end of the Cold War. You know, tail into the Cold War, follow the Berlin Wall is when you and I came onto the scene. But our struggle was, you know, uh, the Gulf War, the L.A. riots, uh, the the whole birth of gangs and all this other in the streets. And, of course, 9-11 when we were, you know, young adults. That was our struggle. Now you've got the 21-year-olds who are going through and saying i can't go here i can't go there i can't go to work it's hard to find supply so this is their struggle yeah it's real right but what we did you know in our struggle that was still nothing in comparison to that of the vietnam war to that of the korean conflict uh to that of world war ii world war one the depression any of those we adapted yeah yeah excuse me and All this that. generation is starting to adapt. You're seeing people become a little more self-reliant, less reliant on, you know, the optional comforts that are out there. Yeah. yeah and there's going to be a bunch of them that just sit and cry and wait till it's all over and go, oh, thank God it's over. There's going to be, there's, there's going to be that. There's always going to be that, but that's it's just the low, yeah, that's the low hanging fruit. It is what yeah. it is. Well, even, even like simple stuff like, um, uh, I went to the store one day and almost all the flour was gone. Actually, all the flour was gone. I had to buy coconut flour, which I, I never even heard of before. But I, I don't know what the girlfriend made with coconut flour, but it tasted fine. And um, I was asking the cashier, like, why, are, why is everybody buying flour all of a sudden? And she goes, oh, I think all the millennials are staying home and learning how to cook. <laughs> I'm like, That's right. <laughs> you know, they're, they're finally learning how to cook and not depending on the restaurant. So yeah they're adapting they're they're changing their ways and everybody needs to learn how to cook i remember i had that backwards mindset for a long time like i definitely am with that old school meal where i thought that i would never have to learn how to cook because the woman would always do it but then i broke up with my high school sweetheart and then playing with the shit so yeah <laughs> I, I moved out of my parents um or out of college and i have my own apartment and i'm sitting there and you know, a couple of weeks go by and I'm eating like frozen food. I'm like, yeah, I can't keep doing this every day. This is, this is garbage. I gotta learn how to cook. And, you know, it sounds funny, but I mean, that was like a challenge at the time. You know, I had to go online and read all these recipes, figure out how to do this, how to do that. I'm like, oh, this recipe calls for this, this, and this. Well, I don't have half that shit. So <laughs> save me and every young man needs to do this. Is like, I just bought a slow cooker and then you just kind of throw shit in there and see what happens. Like you can't really fuck that up. Yeah, I was kind of that way, but, you know, I grew up running around barefoot with a 22 and a fishing pole, you know, in the woods of South and North Carolina. And so we would catch a fish and build a fire and just stab a stick through its head and leave it sitting there over the fire and just eat. You know, that's what we did when we were kids. Yeah. But, you know, so, I mean, if there's fire, I can cook it. 
if you know it was alive but that's why grilling is so great yeah and that's why we're good at grilling because it's pretty much the same thing you stab (laughs) something you killed and you prop it up over the fire but a grill is like a modern bonfire yeah and see i'm lucky that my wife is an amazing cook but i've had to go well i gotta feed the small humans too and (laughs) you know learn a little bit but a lot of the uh, the adapting that's going on with this generation, you know, they're they're kind of starting to fall in line with, uh, you know, the sink or swim kind of mindset, which is part of the warrior's mindset, you know, that, that your book is on. Um, some of the things that I don't want you to give your whole book away, but but. <laughs> But some of the things in there that uh, you've talked about are definitely correlate with the, the phase that people are going through right now and the stages of progression through this whole, yeah. you know, getting used to the corona lockdown and all that other, they can benefit from. So what are some of the things that uh, people who are just now coming on to the scene uh, as an adult and now have to rely on themselves fully in a manner that no generation has really had to, at least in the past two generations? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's weirdly relevant now. Um, I remember when I first started to launch, I was actually kind of nervous because I knew people were losing their jobs. But then I saw the other side of the coin. You know, I saw that you know people actually needed this kind of advice now. So I felt right, this could still work. Um, you know, people have a lot of time in their hands right now, and I, I think it's it's hard on people and, and they're struggling with it. And you know, I I talk about this a lot, and I think. I think people hear it and it goes in one ear and out the other a lot, but journaling is, is huge right now, you know, because you're, you're going through a time that's, that's kind of hard, you know, and a lot of us are losing our distractions. You know, how many people, their whole life was, they would go to work, they'd come home, they'd watch baseball, they'd drink a beer, and then they'd go to bed and do it again. You know, now there's no baseball. Maybe they don't have a job either. You've got to start finding these, these new things to do. And, um, you know, journaling can kind of help get your mindset right. It can help you get some of these feelings of frustration and anger out of you. Um, you know, a, a big thing I talk about in, in all my books really is uh, is exercise. You know, I know we're being told to shelter in place and I keep hearing people talking about the quarantine 15. I can't figure out how that's happening. I, you gotta be really lazy to have all the extra free time that we have and not be getting in better shape. You know, I'm at the point now where some of my shirts aren't fitting anymore. Because I've been working out more. You know, this is the perfect time to be active. Go for a walk, you know, go for a run, whatever level you're at. Just, you need to be active. You need to get outside still if you can. Like I think most people can go in their backyard or at least sit on their porch or I don't know, sit, sit by the window, something. But you need the vitamin D from the sun. You need to get active. Um, you know, and start meditating maybe. I think. Um, I think it sounds like foo-foo nonsense to a lot of guys like you and me until you start doing it. But um, it's it's something that I do, you know, just for a couple minutes a day, five minutes if I can handle it. And it, it really helps me focus. And after I, you know, sat there and just, just being, just being present, you know, you kind of forget about some of the other problems and you realize you can get through the day. Yeah. And, you know, I actually, I wrote a blog post on, uh, meditation and it was uh finding clarity in black coffee and pipe smoke like that right yeah 
what I do every morning, I get up a few hours before everybody else gets up. I go out there on my front porch. I don't care if it's cold. I don't care if it's hot. You know, if it's cold, I'll just turn on the fire pit. And I sit there and I drink coffee and I smoke my pipe while my dog sits there next to me. And I just watch the day get brighter as the sun comes up and listen to the birds. I don't work. I don't give a shit what's going on in my business. I don't give a shit what's going on with the kids homeschool or any of that. I'm just enjoying those 20, 30 minutes of sitting on the porch, smoking a pipe and drinking hot coffee. And that's, that, that's meditation. You're just eliminating other distractions and just sitting there. Yeah. And yeah. You, you, you're able to escape from your uh, your day-to-day grind, uh, as it were, because you can't be in grind mode all the time. No. There's a bunch of try-hard wannabe entrepreneurs out there that think that grinding all the time is what the point is, and it's not. The, you the know, engagement I, rewards those kind of tweets, so you're going to see a lot of them. Yeah. And, uh, and I throw them out there a little bit, but, but you're right. You need that little like mental reset where you just kind of collect yourself. Um, yeah. Take five minutes. Hopefully you shower every day. So hop in the shower for five minutes. I don't care if it's hot. I don't care if it's cold. Just hands on the wall, water hitting your head, close your eyes and chill for five minutes. Well, that's, that's another chapter in the book um, about crafting the ultimate routine. And at the time it was all about, you know, how do I create a routine? that's like super productive, but you know, now more than ever, you need a routine. Um, Something that stuck with me from the movie, I am legend where Will Smith has to, you know, I don't know, survive the, the vampire outbreak or zombie outbreak, whatever it is in New York, but he's all alone. And in that movie, he's got this routine where he wakes up, you know, he goes and hunts the deer, he works out, he uh, he goes to the video store and picks out a movie, even though in reality, all he has to do is like, grab every single movie in there, toss it in the trunk of his Mustang and go home. Like he makes that part of his routine because we, we need that stuff. So I think, I think there's a lot of people right now that are laying in bed all day. I've heard in real life people doing this, you know, um, but you need to get up, you need to shower, you need to shave, you know, I, we both got beards, but they're, they're well kept. you know, we look good still, we look like we're still interacting with people. It's the nice thing about the Zoom, we still have to, you know, kind of look good. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know what, my kids are using all of the sinks in the bathroom, so I'm just going to throw a hat on because my hair is all fucked up, so... Yeah. Well, so I just throw the bandana on, but yeah. I, it's still, it's, it's clean shaped. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, keeping that routine is huge, man, and, and people forget about it. The other thing that's really cool, um, I think this might, might actually continue even after the quarantine's over. I'm going to keep doing these. I don't know if you've done them yet, but there's these, uh, these Zoom cocktail hours where, like, people will get online and they'll Zoom with a few of their friends and they'll just drink beer together. And it's just, <laughs> like, a couple of hours to bullshit. And, you know, the neat thing about it is like, you know, I grew up in Illinois and now I live in Tennessee and all my buddies in high school did like the same shit. You know, one's in Chicago, one's in Minnesota, one's in Arizona, we all scattered. You know, now we kind of interact in a way that's become like socially viable, but I don't know, it may switch when things go back to whatever normal is, but. You know, right now, everyone's got all this extra time. Like, you can throw out a stupid idea, like, hey, do you want to do a joint webcam session where we just sit around talking, drink beer? Like, that sounds like a good idea right now. And I think it is. People need that social interaction. Well, yeah. You know, humans are you social creatures. We thrive right. on being able to interact with other people. But, you know, I'm in the, uh, the Fraternity of Excellence, uh, Hunter Drew and Craig James's group. We do these all, we do those uh, cocktail things all the time. You know, uh, the one that I regularly attend every single week is uh, Sunday morning. 
there's 30 or 50 of us and we're all drinking coffee and we're talking just a group of guys drinking coffee, which is what you used to see when you go to a diner and you got four old dudes sitting in the corner booth, just drinking coffee, just talking with each other. You know, that's what we do now, but it is important right now to, and I think it's very important for your mindset in general to not feel isolated, even if you are physically isolated. Yeah. And and even before the whole like social distancing and self-isolation, there was a lot of guys out there that I think felt, isolated you know maybe it's maybe it's because they live in a small town where there's not a whole lot of you know guys like them that they can interact with maybe they live in a area where their culture is just different you know um you know i I constantly seem to be around guys that are obsessed with sports so i did the fantasy football thing for a few years and then just got to a point where i'm like i don't know man my heart's not in it anymore just it's it seems kind (laughs) of unimportant and it was like a waste of time and then it's, it's hard to find people that want to think differently, you know, and, and getting online and writing has helped me find a group of people that are interested in writing. They're interested in, you know, creating a business. They're interested in getting in shape and doing all these crazy things. It's, it's a nice break from listening to people talk about the latest movie or the latest video game or the latest sports thing. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I like all that stuff too, but at the end of the day, like, I don't want to spend every day, talking about celebrity gossip in sports, you know, and I, and I love sports. I do, but I, I want to talk about other stuff too. And that's where it's neat to have these, these camaraderies because I feel like sports talk and all that stuff. It's just, it's like that casual canned conversation. It's not real. You know, it's like when you ask somebody like, Hey man, how you doing? And like, oh, I'm good. But then like looking at guy's journal and he's like, oh, I'm freaking out. I owe $30,000 in credit card debt. You know, my wife's talking about leaving me. I think my car's going to get repossessed, but the answer is good. Nobody's yeah. actually talking to each other. Anymore. My kids don't talk to me. They've got this <laughs> whole litany of problems. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, but the thing is, yeah. Because the thing is, if the majority of people, if they ask, hey, man, how you doing? They expect you to go, I'm good. You? Because it's more of a formality than yeah. just a general question. Nobody wants it's, the real answer. It's you know? become, it's become I've got like, 67 hey. ingrown toenails. You don't want that answer. <laughs> yeah, it's become like, hey, man, I care about you enough to ask, but not enough to really hear you out because I don't have a solution to your problems. I'm just on the way and I was walking by, you know. So, yeah, I don't know what guys are dealing without, you know, their their bartender to, to talk to. You know, that's that's like the the lower middle classes uh, psychologist, right? So yeah, these problems out. <laughs> and see, a lot of guys right now they're locked away, and they're even, but like you said, even before they had yeah. their escape from their life, so they didn't have to deal with their life. They go to work, so they don't have to deal with the bullshit at home. And then when they come home, they can say, well, I'm exhausted from work, so I don't have time to deal with this bullshit here at home. And then they go to bed, and they wake up and leave again. And then on the weekend, oh, I'm recovering from the whole week, so I don't have to deal with this bullshit here at home. Well, now you're at home, and there's nothing but bullshit for them to deal with. But because they would go to work and go home, they don't have an outer, you know, a circle of guys, of, of comrades, as it were, that they can just blow steam off with. Because your wife does not want to have you constantly bitching about your problems. Your oh, your wife, 
she only wants to hear your problems if you if she asks you what's going on. You tell her what your problem was and how you already solved it, and then ask her what she thought about yeah. it. But you have to have the answer already there. You just can't be a miserable little bitch, or she's not going to respect you. No, I mean, if, you, if you're going to come home and complain to your wife about everything going wrong, you know, they'll say they care. They'll say they want you to open up your feelings, but it's going to eat at them. They're going to feel like you're failing and you're weak, and it's just it's not a good look. Um, yeah, you don't then, want your wife fucking around as soon as you get done. Just walk off and go, God, will you just man the fuck up? Yeah, that's what she's gonna think. Yeah. But like, guys can open up to each other. They can have these conversations. You know, and I've had a couple of them recently. I've had guys calling me and telling me like they're they're dealing with shit. And the funny thing is, I think they've been dealing with this stuff for so long. It's been really easy for them to just kind of sweep it under the rugs. They're busy and they don't have time to think about it. Now everybody's got time to think about their problems. I'm like, oh shit, I gotta actually deal with this one. So. There's time to talk. It's kind of great. You know, now more than ever, it's a time to reach out to your friends, just call them up, say, like, hey, man. And you can start with, you know, because guys don't want to call each other, like, hey, tell me about your feelings. You can't do that. You, you got to do, like, the, hey, listen to this bullshit. What's quarantine <laughs> like over there? Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, they're like, they're threatening to close down our only liquor store in town. Do you hear about this shit? Like, listen to this. They're talking about how people are too crowded and they're going to shut down. It's fucking nuts, man. What's going on in your place? What's it like over there? And eventually the conversation will just get there. Yeah, we'll get there organically. Because, yeah. you know, guys don't send, we're not like our wives that will send thinking of you cards. You can't do it. <laughs> no. Like, I, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy did a bit on that shit back in the early, early 90s. And it was like, you know, guys, we we come at each other very differently. Like, Wally, you old bald-headed pervert, how you doing, brother? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you can't have that. Like, Karen, you water-retaining sea cow, how have you been? It doesn't work out the same way. No, you know. No. But yeah. and we're also not going to send, uh, dear Ned. I saw an oil stain on the garage floor today, and it reminded me of your head. Love, Earl. We, you don't get that shit with guys. We have to have an outlet, yeah. but we don't have that same kind of dynamic with our friendships and our comrades that women will have with theirs. Even just making that phone call can be tough with certain guys. You know, like I, I've got a couple of friends that like I could call them. They probably just won't answer. They'll text back like, what do you need? You know, but um, you know what helps with that? It's kind of funny and a weird way to do it, but some of these video games you guys can play online, you get on the headset and that's like your opportunity to talk because I think the real issue is like guys have the problem of like dead silence where they'll start talking and they run out of things to say for a minute whereas girls are just chatterboxing and they're they're much more social you know guys will get to a point where it just gets awkward and they don't say so there's like this anxiety element to calling up another dude but like you know firing up a game of Call of Duty or whatever you can bullshit for a couple of hours and you're talking about the game and, and then again then your problems come up and it's an actual like more natural way for a guy to confront his issues with another guy and not feel like he's being a weirdo. <laughs> yeah. You know, those things come up naturally for guys. If you're all going out bowling or golfing yeah. or shooting or whatever. Yeah. You know, hey, that was a good shot. Yeah. I heard about your brother. He is a cut. Uh, you, <laughs> you just keep on going, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you know, all those things closing down, it's tough. Yeah. Some of that stuff's still open, I guess. You can yeah. golf out of here. I think that's kind of funny. I don't see why you can't, you know, but it's funny like, what's considered I, it, essential and what's not. Yeah, golf is considered essential here, too, which I, I, I've never played golf. There's a top golf, 
uh, down yeah. the road where you could just get drunk and hit balls off a balcony all day. I, I kind of like doing that. Like, I'm okay that, at golf, but I'll like that sounds fun. And hit the driving range. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. But, uh, That's probably the only reason I do it. Yeah. But no, uh, shifting gears a little bit, yeah. uh, back to your book. Uh, what are uh, the bullet points that you go through uh, in your book as far as uh, the chapter wise that All right. get people started on developing this warrior mindset that's always existed within them, but they've just been watered down over yeah. time. Yeah, and that's in the first chapter is change your mindset, change your life, because, you know, you <clears throat> think of yourself in a certain way. You know, I never thought of myself as a writer. I never thought of myself as a runner. And I think a lot of people look at me and um, I, I've been doing this long enough where I feel like I've gotten a little detached from what like the average guy feels like. Cause when I first started this account, it was a much more you know down to earth vibe and it's, it's escalated. Um, but I, you know, you change your mindset. Stop thinking of yourself as like this couch potato or this lazy person. I hear all the time, like, I'm not a runner. I'm not a writer. I'm like, yeah, I wasn't either. And then I started doing it. And it's funny when you start doing something, you become that. So, you know, maybe you run to your mailbox in the back. Maybe you run to the fucking, you know, neighbor down the street. I don't know. You got to start small. Um, another big one is uh, push through your limits. I, I think a lot of us have these self-imposed limits where we think that we can't do this, we can't do that. And, you know, you've got to learn how you can break through these things. And if you can do, if you can find one thing that's, kind of impossible in your mind something that you don't think you can do if you can just break that limit you can just do that it completely changes the way you look at everything else because then everything becomes possible so like i used to play football i was always in the weight room i was always like a bigger guy um not necessarily fat just heavier like i could never climb a rope and I thought it was, I literally thought it was impossible for me. I thought I had to lose a shit a little weight and I, I would just never be able to do it. And then one day I learned how to do it. And the crazy thing was like, my weight was like identical to what it had been in high school and college when I said I couldn't do it. Right. And once I realized I was able to climb a rope up to the ceiling, I'm like, oh shit, if I can do this, like maybe I should sign up for that half marathon and maybe I can do that. And then it became, maybe I should write a book maybe I should do this and you start realizing all these limits that you have are just you know they're all self-imposed they're not real um <laughs> another one is uh you need a mantra to motivate you and uh it, it's such a cheesy thing but you know when you're out there running a 25 mile race you need something really dumb and stupid and basic that can come into your head instantly like you know, I don't know, like live your life like a Viking or Spartan up or man up, whatever. And I know people hate that man up phrase. I don't like it either, but you, you need to be able to like convince yourself with minimal effort that you can keep going. Cause yeah, absolutely. Uh, my, the one I, I told you earlier, I always, uh, uh, don't be a bitch. Yeah. Can't conquer your inner bitch. Like Joe Rogan always says. I love that. I, that I didn't know he said that, but that is awesome. I like that. I've said that before where I'm like, you know, working out or something. I'm on like the eighth set. I, my arms are starting to shake. Come on, conquer this little bitch. You know, you, you start thinking like, what what else can I do to motivate me? And guys do that to each other. You know, my old like weightlifting buddy back in college, we always like harass each other. Like, oh, come on, don't be a little bitch. You can do this. <laughs> but it's it's true because I think what makes it worth the most is you get kind of angry. Like, I'm not a little bitch. Fuck you. I'll show you. Yeah, exactly. Then it's like, hey, great job, dude. 
you know. Um, let's see what else. Modern life needs a rite of passage, and I think a lot of us are kind of getting one right now. But um, this this one's kind of tricky because it's not really necessarily something you can do. It's more like something that happens to you, and you know maybe maybe you live a perfect life and nothing goes wrong your whole life. So you know that's great. But this one's more about like reframing the way some things happen to you. So there's there's moments in everyone's life, and I think everybody has something like this happen to them, where something goes wrong. You know, maybe they get cheated on, maybe they go through a divorce, maybe they lose their job. You know, um, I almost went blind a few years ago, and like, I lost some eyesight in one of my eyes. It's like there's all these little things that you kind of struggle through, and like going through these rite of passages, these like little challenges, these big challenges in some cases, it changes you. It's like uh, Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey, where you know, you start out where you're this person, you got these flaws, and you kind of, you go around, and you, and you reach your low point, but then you, you get over that low point, and you take what you learn, and you make it, it makes you stronger, it makes you into a better person, and you come back to where you started, and, you know, instead of being at this place where you weren't capable of doing something, you, you've learned through struggle, you've become a better person through what went wrong, and you're able to overcome you know, this, this hero's journey happens to a lot of us. It's just many people hit that low point and instead of thinking of it as an opportunity to better themselves, they look at it as a roadblock and they want to give up. It's really easy to do that. But these things happen a lot. And the more times you fail, the more times you have these low points, the next time you come back to it, it's like, oh, I just got to figure out how to get past this. You know, and eventually it just becomes this thing where it's like, you know, this this is just that moment. All right. I don't know what I'm going to learn from this. And it kind of sucks right now, but I know it's probably going to make me a much better person. I'm going to look back and either laugh at it or be grateful that it happened. I'm grateful I went through a divorce. I am yeah. grateful I went bankrupt. Uh, not bankrupt, but I lost like everything. Um, I, didn't, I didn't actually declare bankruptcy, but I may as well have. Um, I almost flunked out of college. You know, I, I, I overcame that, but I look at all those moments and I don't think I wish it didn't happen. I'm like, man, if none of those things happened, I would have coasted through life and never, ever like try to do better. Yeah. And, you know, I always think of the hero's journey as like this cheesy 1980s movie where, (laughs) (laughs) no, I'm thinking like when you when you you're going along and then shit starts going wrong and you hit that low point you start to bottom out that's when you have to make the decision that you're going to grow and learn from it but after that is when that 5 minute training montage kicks in <laughs> where you you know like you see rocky and apollo training you know they're a 5 second clip of running on the beach 30 second clip of in the weight room that training montage takes in and that is the representation of the growth Exactly. of you fighting your way up so that by the end of it all you're now in the ring and ready to go you can face it you're good yeah so that's what it looked that's what i pictured as is when you make the decision to come back that's when your training montage starts yeah yeah and you know like i think a lot of people are in that low point right now i mean we we're talking about this before um, we got started there's like uh there was 16 million people that filed for unemployment and then like another 5.9 just today you know, so how many people just have their like world rocked right now, and they're right. real and they don't know what to do. And I think a lot of these people, 
I know some are probably like younger people in the service industry like, oh, well, I wasn't going to work at, you know, McDonald's forever or whatever. But I think some of these jobs are surprisingly stable jobs. You know, this has been a strange year where people talk about like putting money into the stock market and getting a corporate job in an office because that's the stable thing to do. And now they're starting to see that, you know, that safe route wasn't quite as safe as they thought it was. And like weird stuff like, you know, Bitcoin's been strangely stable, unlike the stock market. And then some of these strange work at home jobs that people might have thought were crazy, all of a sudden they're like all the rage. So I think the lesson there is like, there's no sure thing. Like nothing's for certain, right? Yeah, you just have to pick something and jump in and hope for the best. I mean, you can mitigate all your downsides all you yeah. want to, but you're never going to be 100% sure. No, no. I think the best thing you can do is just accept that certain things aren't going to last forever. You know, try if, if you're capable of this. And this, obviously, you can't do this through minimum wage, but try not to live paycheck to paycheck. But the town I grew up in was um, notorious for these people that were living paycheck to paycheck. And you know, it's really easy to say, like, oh, it's hard because, you know, they don't have enough money. Like, oh, these people were driving Lexuses. They were going to Disney World twice a year. They had these giant McMansions. They were making good money. They were still, like, trying to keep up the Joneses or something. They increased they their, their lifestyle. Jobs. They increased their lifestyle as their wages increased. Yeah. yeah. I and get you. A lot of them got laid off at this one big company. And these were people, like, in their 50s and 60s. And they were just broke. Like, what the hell have you been doing? Like, you've had, you know, 20, 30 years of a pretty good job, and all it took was two months for you to lose everything? Like, like what makes you think that's okay to live that way? They just, they just expect the gravy train to run forever. It's insane. You know, like, and I'm not talking about guys making $25,000 a year. I mean, if you're struggling, you know, that's different. But, God, look at the, um, I hate to, bash anybody when they're getting down but like look at like some of the drop shippers that were struggling um oh right yeah now. you know they were they were riding high last year and they were a little too boastful so now they're gonna get a couple kicks in now they're struggling and like i don't know how much money these guys are making because all they ever talk about is revenue not profit but it seemed like life was pretty good i'm pretty sure even if they were making 10 15 20 grand a month i don't think they saved hardly any of it because they thought it was going to keep running forever yeah you know so now they're they're at their low point. They learned a good lesson, I think. So it's not the end of the world. Um, back to the book. Um, daily habits. You know, we talked a little bit about that, I guess, with the routine. But like different daily habits that can really, um, you know, help you like embrace this mindset. And then what habits are like holding you back? You know, I talk about, you know, a few items that uh, tend to spark a little anger and push back things that people love you know whenever you start talking about something that people like to do and that they love they, they get angry about it think about like uh weed culture you start talking about like how like maybe you should smoke marijuana every day you know you'll get some people that say oh no it's good for you it's healthy it's like all right that's fine maybe it is but you know maybe you should think about the way you're doing it like maybe you maybe you have an addictive personality i don't know maybe it's too much money you're wasting Game. yeah it's another one you know, getting your daily habits in check. Yeah. That's a I struggle with these things too. You know, that's a rough one. Cause people don't realize that they compound, you know, we're yeah. coming up on the, uh, they're coming up on the hour mark, but right. I do just want to say that, you know, if you're going out to eat multiple times a day, multiple times a week, those little $5 nugget meals here and 
$10 burger meals here, they add up. That's why you're broke on, on Saturday after you got paid on Friday. But your daily habits, you know, they compound in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I think people get too fixated on the big picture. I mean, miss those little daily things that can change. Little easy tweaks. Yeah. So uh, this is, we went down a whole lot of rabbit holes. We didn't get to go through <laughs> all the, all the uh, bullet points in there. Uh, we'll definitely have to do this again. Absolutely. But before uh, we wrap up, is there anything else that you wanted to uh, get out there? Um, yeah, I did have one thought I wanted to say, and it's something I talk about a lot in this book, and I think all the men that are listening will appreciate this one. It's um, it's no secret that like, right now we're in the middle of this like narrative warfare where traditional masculinity is being reframed as toxic masculinity. And, um, you know, you don't have to sit there silently and take it. You don't have to accept it. You know, you know it's not true. There's things you can do to speak up about it. Maybe, maybe you can't share it at work. You know, maybe you can't share it in certain circles, but it's easier than ever to go online and talk about it. You don't even need a blog. You don't need an email. Just going on social media, even if it's an anonymous account, I think speaking up and trying to explain to the younger generation what makes a man right now is, is paramount. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of lies that are being thrown around and there's a lot of confused young men looking for answers. Oh, I agree. And I think uh, with everybody bashing on the uh, whole quote unquote <laughs> toxic masculinity, uh, I bet a lot of people out there right now wishing their, uh, their guys were a little bit more masculine now that they're struggling through all of this and need some more uh, self-sufficiency. When the barbarians are at the gate, suddenly masculinity is not so toxic. Yeah, nobody hates the warrior when somebody's at the door. Exactly. <laughs> but, guys, that's going to do it for this one. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe to the channel. If you're listening on Google Play or iTunes, please leave, uh, leave a review. They really, really help. They help spread the message to bigger audiences and bring in more people. Uh, outside of that, that's going to do it for this one. Uh, this has been Jeff Putnam of Rugged Legacy and Ryan Feldman of Path to Manliness. There will be links to his books and where you can find him on social media in the show notes. Thanks for watching. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Rugged Legacy podcast. I hope you've been enjoying the content on all of the episodes, especially this one here. If you'd like to become a contributor and support this podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash rugged legacy and click on the support icon. Everyone wants to rise from the ashes, but very few are willing to set themselves on fire. This has been a rugged legacy production.